Well, the love barge. <laughs> Thanks for bringing me, Peg. Oh, it's not so bad. No, it's like 20,000 leagues under the sea. <laughs> Except I'm married to the giant squid. <laughs> Let's rock. Thanks, Dad. Can I get a open? No Man Presents, live from the nudie bar, the Married with Children podcast. Welcome back, Married with Children fans. Uh, this is... This is... Tyler, who am I again? Uh, tell me you're Captain Nonads. <laughs> Captain Nonads? Oh, God. No, I'm Steven. That's right, I'm Steven. And how you doing, Tyler? I... I'm a... Oh, Steven. Pinch me! What? Why'd you do... I said pinch me! Ah! <laughs> uh, I'm Tyler. <laughs> yeah, and we're here to talk about Ship Happens, the great Mary with Children episode, directed by Jerry Cohen, written by Michael J. Wolf. It originally aired on February 19th, 1995. And, it, and the guest stars include Lisa Stahl as Gretchen, Mary Gallipoli as Julie, Kim Anderson as Party Girl, and Wolfman Jack as Wolfman Jack. <laughs> Bigger than the Titanic. Why didn't you tell me this was a cruise for fat women? You didn't ask me. More fun than the Poseidon Adventure. We should have left them at home. Should have left us at the altar. The Bundys go on a luxury cruise. It's like 20,000 leagues under the sea. From hell. Only I'm married to the giant squid. A brand new Married with Children tonight. Where do we get this title from? Oh, well, uh, the title Ship Happens comes from the saying, Shit happens and quotations <laughs> and um yeah that's uh that pretty much gives you a good window into what's going to be happening today <laughs> yes it does and just to get this off my chest in the movie forrest gump you might remember him uh, running have you seen forrest gump oh yes okay this is my wife's favorite movie anyway remember um the guy is looking for a new motto Hey, man! Hey, listen, I was wondering if you might help me, huh? Listen, I'm in the bumper sticker business, and I've been trying to think up a good slogan. And since you have been such a big inspiration to the people around here, I thought you might be able to help me jump into... Whoa, man! You just ran through a big pile of dog shit! It happens. What, shit? Sometimes. And some years later, I heard of that fella did come up with a bumper sticker slogan and he made a lot of money off of it but when it went to um television all they had in there was it happens you know they bored it out and edited it and i thought that was the dumbest most ridiculous edit i've ever seen well what you're referring to Stephen, is the idea of censorship in its worst form well i'm not against censorship i understand there are sometimes you gotta do that but i remember thinking when I was like seven years old and I was reading the newspaper and <laughs> yeah, newspaper. And I noticed they said, uh, they were quoting something. This woman said over and said this piece of, and it was S 
question mark hashtag at sign T. And in my seven-year-old brain, I said the word shit while I read it. And I'm like, oh, they put that there because they're not allowed to show it. But I thought of it. So what's it really doing? How is this really accomplishing anything? It's actually, in fact, it's drawing my eyes to it. Like and making me think more about it. So that's right. You know what they're saying anyway. I just think it's the dumbest thing. It's one of the very common curse word. It's not that offensive. Anyway, but I'm off my rant now. Let's talk about this wonderful episode. Well, we start out and Peg is on the couch. Bud and Kelly walk in. I'm up. so glad you're home. I'm entering this new contest, and I need you to think of something clever. <laughs> but is something wrong? Yeah. yeah. You just asked someone with the IQ of mustard to think of something clever. I will have you know, a oh winged monkey man. <laughs> I am just as smart as anybody else in this room, so you don't need to spell out Ikwi around me. She's reading a magazine, and she has to ask Bud and Kelly for something clever. (laughs) The audience has a really loud uh, response to them walking in. It kind of caught my attention, and I was... it, It, like... I, I, I just I love how enthusiastic the Mario Children live audience is. They went nuts when Kelly walked in. Uh-huh. And of course, there's a good reason why. Mm-hmm. She was probably one of the most popular ones next to Ed O'Neill. I think she even outshined um um Katie Seagal. Oh god. Yeah, Katie Seagal. <laughs> how could I forget that? But anyway, uh, she, yeah, they're excited for that. Yeah, because also she wasn't wearing a bra either, which is just my powers as a reviewer, noticing all things I need to notice. <laughs> okay, I'm glad you noticed that. <laughs> I, I, I love Bud's uh, response. You just asked someone with the IQ of mustard to think of something clever. <laughs> how mean to mustard? What's wrong? With that? I would say mustard <laughs> is smarter than ketchup. So, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. To me, mustard, too little and there's no taste. Too much and it's overpowering. Ketchup yeah, is like, not just so... Just like intelligence. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I guess that's a good point. I never thought of it that way. And Kelly's response to him, referring to him as a winged monkey, gave me PTSD. Now die! Because when I saw The Wizard of Oz as a little kid, seeing the winged monkeys, I was probably four or five. They scared the crap out of me. They did? They never scared me. I was shocked to find out that that was... I saw Wizard of Oz when I was a little kid, too. I think everybody does. And I found out that a lot of people were afraid of the Tin Man and the winged monkeys. And I'm like, the winged monkeys were adorable just hopping around because with obvious fake wings on, they're just cute monkeys. Uh, it bothered me when I found out, like, wait, they scared you? 
Aww. <laughs> they did when I was a little kid. I got scared of Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory, if you be- can believe that or not. Oh, that's terrifying. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it is. You're four years old. You're watching a little bo- a little fat kid being sucked up a you know a tube. If you you later... happen to be a little bit overweight yourself, like I was, it yeah. you, you see yourself in that too. <laughs> and then on top of that, then they go into that dark tunnel thing, and that was scary as a little kid. And then I started crying when they were floating up towards the fan. I thought they were going to die. My mom had to oh, take me out of the. the... The the one where I wasn't afraid of that because I knew our main guys weren't going to die. I was smart enough at that age that I knew they weren't going to die. However, Barunka, I wanted that girl out. She reminded me of so many little girls I went to elementary school with. But when I found when they said she's going to the incinerator, I probably started crying. Like no, I because I, like I wanted her to like I wanted her gone, but. When she left, I was like, I didn't mean I wanted her to burn alive. <laughs> Man, that movie's messed up. Whoa. Yeah, but uh, it is dark. But, you know, looking back now, I kind of laughed that I was scared of those things. In <laughs> fact, this last week, I caught The Wizard of Oz on TV. I forgot what night, but uh, I sat down and I watched it from beginning to end. I still love that movie. It nice. is one of the... It's a masterpiece of classic uh, motion picture. You know, I got to take a little rewatch of that because I watched for the first time, Stephen, and listeners, just so you know where my uh, movie watching's been, I watched The Return of uh, Return to Oz on Disney Plus for the first time. Ooh. That's, that's really dark. I remember seeing Apparently, that. it's more like the actual book, which if that's what the actual yes. book is... The movie did a better job. Like, whoo. Because, yeah. like, oh, Dorothy is, like, seven years old. And I'm watching it, and my roommate's playing video games, and he looks over, and I'm telling him what I'm watching. And I was like, wait, is this a prequel? And he goes, no, man, it's not. And then she goes, Dorothy. It's not Dorothy. And she goes, then you hear the mom go, Dorothy, wake up. And he goes, oh, wait, is it a prequel? She go, and then you hear the mom go, she hasn't been the same since that twister. And then he's like, wait. He actually paused his game, looked over, he's like, the f- hell are you watching? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a pretty dark one. But uh, anyway, back to Married with Children. But I'm so glad you're home. <laughs> you see, this feminine hygiene company is looking for a sidekick for their new mascot, Tubi the Tampon. <laughs> Mom, in Bud's defense, you're talking about an area he knows nothing about. Now, if it had been for hand wigs or, say, finger lingerie... I think that's quite enough, Kelly. Mom, I thought Dad banned you from entering all these magazine contests. I don't enter that many contests. I don't even get that many magazines. Bud has a comment towards um, Peg saying he thought dad banned him from entering magazine contests (sighs) and well i was wondering did you ever enter a magazine contest of any kind steven i never had a magazine subscription all right like (laughs) i was uh let's see i i my mom had magazine subscriptions and so did my dad but i never did and by the time i would be old enough where i would want to get one i was just like i have the internet like, 
screw that. <laughs> just, uh, and that's killing the magazine industry. Yeah, they're just going to become digitized. Uh, they, they'll reformat like everything else. But uh, but I do remember magazines up the wazoo out in newspaper and like mails and uh in mail of my friends and my friends families anytime i go over the mail would come in and you would hear like letters fall and then flump 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 as like four subscription magazines plop in and there were a lot of them that's a whole podcast in and of itself yeah, and uh, my dad's magazines I thought were a lot more attractive than my mom's magazines, especially the ones he kept hidden under the bed. Oh, you know? I was about to say, what were your dad's mag? Yeah, you know what? Maybe you remember what were some of your dad's uh, family friendly magazines, and what were some of your mom's uh, also family friendly magazines? <laughs> the- well, mom had better homes and gardens. She had this one on um, uh, like hobby thing, hobby craft or something like that. She also had uh, Cosmo and uh, Cosmopolitan. Isn't that what it's called? I forgot. It's it's uh, and, Cosmopolitan Cosmo for sure. Yeah. And then there was they had People magazine. They both got that. My, since my dad was a doctor, he'd also take those and put them in his office as well. And they got Time and Newsweek. And my dad got this one on hunting. He liked to hunt. Mm. And let's see, there was oh, and uh, one on aviation. That's what he liked. And I've had a few magazine subscriptions. I used to have Entertainment Weekly until it became Entertainment Monthly. You know, and I had a few others. Um, I had this one for on, uh, oh, God, hang on a second. I was trying to think. Baseball Weekly, I had that. Baseball Weekly. It's I love that magazine. weekly magazine I, about baseball? Yeah. And, well, back then, you could have a, mag, a, weekly, magaz, a weekly magazine on baseball. And let's see, I had one. I, I did get U.S. News and World Report. And I also had a magazine subscription to Rip Magazine. It was about heavy metal. Because <laughs> I was into heavy metal in the late 80s. Oh, man. Carrying your chains and your uh, big black boots. <laughs> yeah, well, I didn't have that, but I like to keep up with uh, metal heavy metal scene okay so question so baseball weekly which that one caught my attention more than any of the others you mentioned because i'm just like baseball weekly such a niche crowd now when there wasn't baseball happening like if it was not during the season did that subscription just get paused or did more stuff keep coming out no it always came out because there was always news in the off season huh you would keep up with that's for the baseball files, you know, back in the eighties and nineties. Of course, it's not there anymore now. It's uh, it turned into you. It was an offshoot of USA Today. Oh, oh yeah, okay. So that's why. So maybe as these magazines folded, that's why these newspapers and subscriptions got thicker and bigger because they just incorporated uh, more of this content, possibly. I think that's possible, but now even the. Uh, Newspa- newspapers and magazines are getting thinner and less because they're being digitized a lot more. Yeah, so thank you, Stephen. I, you had more of a connection to the magazine world than I did. However, I do, I'm do. i not that young, listeners. I do remember reading magazines without buying them like a precocious little scamp myself. I would gravitate more to Time Magazine, 
people, if my mom was shopping and I didn't want to go shopping with her, but I didn't want to sit in the car, I would just go and read magazines up in front of the store. Yeah. Um, I would read Variety. Um, as I got older, as a teenager, I would read People. And then as I got more into my late teens, I would also read Cosmo. Guys, uh, Cosmo is still a thriving magazine, and it's actually pretty good. Uh, it, they they know men are reading, and they 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 talk about stuff you might like. And um, but George Costanza was reading it on the toilet. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> see there you go what glowing endorsement could you ask for um but i remember yeah. my neighbor across the street i forget his name but he had a magazine called soldier of fortune or soldier fortune i think that's what it's called yeah uh there was a magazine called that i knew a few guys who would have that laying around the house yeah i want <laughs> There was I was doing some school project or probably something like World War Two or something like that, where my back in the day kids old Internet databases would tell you where information and magazine articles were located and they would give you the issue number. Then it was up to you to go and search for that dang number. Nowadays, they're all digitized and you they'll you can like order it directly right then and there. But I was like looking for some bit of like source material in one of these magazines and we got our neighbor's mail one time so i think my mom or somebody told me like he gets soldier of fortune so maybe he'll know which one i told him he's like wait and he i guess he didn't like hear when i said i was talking about a school project because like i (laughs) I was like he's like wait you want soldier of fortune give me a minute he went downstairs to his house. He came back up with like three boxes of like four years worth of subscriptions. He's like, oh, you yeah. got so much reading to do, man. I'm so jealous. <laughs> I, I will say I don't have magazine subscriptions anymore. And I left out one, Writer's Digest. I actually recently stopped that one because I'm an amateur writer. My goal is to be a novelist someday. Get them out. I do have a couple on Amazon Prime, but the thing is, or Amazon Print on Demand, whatever that's called, Amazon Kindle. And I've entered some writing contests through those magazines. Hmm. So you said uh, Writer's Digest or Reader's Digest? Writer's Digest. I didn't know there was a Writer's Digest. Yeah, I don't know if they still publish it because I gave it up about a year ago. But uh, that was, and like I said, I would enter writing contests. Well, well, I only knew about Reader's Digest, which my mom loved. But Writer's Digest, so you entered those contests, much like Peggy enters contests as well, apparently. Mail call! Let's see what came today. Doll maker, <laughs> lizard quarterly. <laughs> oh, look here, ebony. Esther Roll moved, Peg. Where? Closer to the fridge. <laughs> oh, now, what have we here? Amish Weekly. Ooh. New spring color, black. <laughs> yeah, what, what really kills me, though, and Tyler, you might explain this. Uh, when Al comes in with the mail call, he, his arms are full of magazines. 
and he talks about uh, in the magazine Ebony, and he noticed that Esther Roll had moved. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay, so I, I'm actually glad that I'm doing this podcast episode with you because before when I was watching it, before we did our research and had our notes laid out, I had completely missed this. So, yes, Stephen, you're absolutely right. <clears throat> um, look here, Ebony. Esther Roll moved. Well, Esther Roll... Born uh, November 8th, 1920, and passed away in 1998, was an American actress. Uh, she was best known for the, her role as Florida Evans on the CBS television sitcom Maud for two seasons, and its spinoff series, Good Times, for five seasons. And that show actually got her nominated for a Golden Globe. In 1979, Roll accepted the Emmy Award for Outstanding Supporting Actress in a limited series or special, Summer of My German Soldier, which I have not seen, but I definitely need to. Uh, she's a brilliant, brilliant actress. Love her in everything that she does. I'm not exactly sure why he said that, but like, I guess Esther Roll moved, um, I guess... Uh, w- closer to the fridge. Yeah, closer to the fridge, which... I didn't laugh at that. Like, and once yeah. I realized who she was talking about, like, she is not a fat woman, which is definitely in the realm of Mary with Children. She, okay, she is a fat woman, but I, I never saw her as that. I never saw her as a. It, it made me think of the fact that Mary with Children rarely has heavy set uh, women of color. It's always mm-hmm. big white women. I don't like it just brought that brought my attention because he was bringing up Esther Roll because there's definitely a thing that they make fun of. But in uh, Good Times and in Maud, she is portrayed as a very positive, um, strong, stable and confident woman. We well, also have to remember there is a difference between being downright obese and uh, fat. Okay? Not married with uh, children. <laughs> yeah, not with married with children, obviously, but. You know, but what I'm getting at is they're, you know, it's acceptable for people as they get as they get older to uh, gain weight. I mean, that's a given. It's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I struggle more with it as I grow older, and I think there is a big difference between being a little heavy and, of course, being obese. Mom, are you sure anybody ever wins these contests? Would Ed McMahon lie? Gee, I don't know. Would he drink? <laughs> Would he laugh at something that's not funny? Would he tout the taste of dog food if he thought he could make a stinking buck? <laughs> Peggy is wondering if that man would ever lie. And Al has this great line. Gee, I don't know. Would he drink? Would he laugh at something that's not funny? Would he tout the taste of dog food if he thought it would make a stinking buck? Well, yeah. Mm. That is uh, Al ranting against uh, Ed McMahon. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Ed McMahon. He was born March 6, 1923, and he died on June 23, 2009. He was an American announcer, game show host, comedian, actor, and singer. McMahon and Johnny Carson began their association in their first TV series. It was an ABC game show, and it was called Who Do You Trust? It ran from about 1957 to 1962, and that was before my time. McMahon then made his famous 30-year mark as Carson's sidekick, announcer, and second banana on NBC. Tonight's show, starring Johnny Carson. 
They were partners for 30 years, from 62 to 92. He also hosted Star Search. I remember that one, from 1983 to 1995. He also hosted, unfortunately, bloopers and practical jokes, or TV's bloopers and tra- practical jokes with Dick Clark from 1982 to 98. And here's the big thing. He uh, represented the sweepstakes for the direct marketing company, American Family Publishers. Where can you win $1 million? American Family. $2 million? American Family. $10 million. Only from American Family. Three grand prizes, folks. You may already be the winner of $1 million, $2 million, even $10 million. I will personally start awarding these giant prizes just three months from now. So watch your mail for the envelope with my picture. $10 million. All for you. You know, he would come by and give you that million-dollar check if you won the Publishers Clearinghouse sweepstake. And that's a callback to an old joke in, uh, I believe it was it was um, from season four, and it was called 976 Shoe when Al opened a shoe line. He's opening up the mail, and he makes a comment. Ed McMahon says I may owe him $10 million. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, I amazingly got that joke because I am, I must be just young enough where I don't have the um, connection that you do to this type of television that I think completely changed as I became 10 years old in 2000 because I... I know the name Ed McMahon. If I was told, do you know the name Ed McMahon? I'd be like, absolutely. What do you know him as? He presents big checks for what? For sweepstakes, for publishing clearinghouse. Explain what any of that is. I can't. Like that, I know all of these words. I know all of these statements because I've seen them parodied and referenced by all the stuff that I love. So I'm very happy that you have experienced, Stephen. So please tell me and any of the listeners who might be my age or younger, what the heck is Publishers Clearinghouse? Well, basically, it was a group of magazines that would make this prize money available. And you had to enter their sweepstakes. You would get these envelopes in and you had to put in three magazines you wanted to subscribe to, you would get those magazines at a cheap discount rate and you were entered in the publisher's clearinghouse. After a while though, they stopped forcing you to get a magazine subscription, but people were still doing it, you know, from that publisher's clearinghouse family uh, publications because they thought that would help their chances of winning. You weren't entering, like put writing down your name and everything and sending it, that name in an envelope with no money or anything to be entered into a raffle. You were purchasing annual or monthly or whatever subscriptions to three different magazines, maybe at a smaller rate, but still purchasing them just to get a chance of winning? Yeah. Well, you say the thing is, it would come and it would say, like, Stephen Scott, you have a chance of winning. What a brilliant scam. Wow. You know, and here's, and here's your, your winning number, if you should win. And then there would be like three boxes in there. Choose the magazines you want. They were like in stamp form. You had to lick them and put the three magazines that you wanted there. Playboy was conspicuously missing. But uh, that's how, and that's how magazines thrive. 
I wouldn't necessarily call it a scam. You did have a chance of winning. Okay, it's not a scam, but it's like, wow, it's a predatorial thing because, like, you know for every million dollars they handed out, they probably made fifty hundred billion times that amount in subscription money between the three of them. Yeah, likely. You know, something that always puzzled me, too, you know, going back to magazines, when you get a subscription, I have no idea why in the hell they put subscription cards in magazines that you're already subscribed to. Because they're all because it's cheaper to produce things on mass and it's way cheaper to produce put those in every single magazine that gets bound and created and then sent out than to hire someone at two dollars an hour to pull those out of the ones that are going to people who are already subscribed. Well, they need a living wage of fifteen dollars an hour to do that. Exactly. And again, magazines are fading anyway. But at that, <laughs> this is just this is really fascinating to me. I, I'm a re- long-time listeners know I'm a real geek for stuff that happened between the '60s and the '90s because I was born in the '90s and I lived that, and I was raised by grandparents who were from the '50s and '40s, so I had a lot of information from that time period. The time period I don't have a lot of connection with is the late '60s, '70s, and '80s, which is where most people who were not raised by grandparents would, my age, would have that connection. I don't know about this weird era of tv all these things you talked about star search practical jokes with dick clark publisher's clearinghouse this is stuff that i saw referenced on the simpsons or other television shows of the time and it's such a every time i learn something i put a little puzzle piece in my head and i'm just like it's such a fascinating era of american multimedia that is didn't last long, but went really hot and burnt out. So, this is a this is a fun time. This way, this whole episode got kickstarted is just lost in time. So, I, I like it as a snapshot. Anyway, so then we get a visitor. Hey, I'm telling you that nobody ever, ever wins these contests. Anybody here join a record club? Uh, well, you know, I'm talking about 30 years ago. No, I'm here to lay something good on you. You guys have just won a $1 million grand prize. Oh, yeah. Peg, Peg, if you weren't my wife, I'd kiss you. You hear a howl and some scratching on the on the door and Al opens up and it's Wolfman Jack. Let me tell you a little bit about Wolfman Jack because I do remember him. You mean him or Low Man Jack? No, it's Wolfman. (laughs) His real name was Robert Weston Smith and he was born January 21st, 1938 and he died July 1st, 1995, just a few months after this episode aired. He was an American disc jockey. He was famous for that gravelly voice and credit for his successful saying, 
It's kept meat and potatoes on the table for years for Wolfman and Wolfwoman. A couple of shots of whiskey helps it. I've got that nice raspy sound. He was also in American Graffiti as the disc jockey. And I do remember his show that was hosted. It was nationally syndicated. And he would count down some rock and roll hits from, you know, certain times. And he was a big guy. You can see that he was really big. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I'm not sure if the only reference I have of this, of this dude, which I, this might not actually be a reference, but I, they might have inspired it, was an episode of The Simpsons where they, where Homer wins a motorcycle and they go to this 50s diner and the owner of the diner is like, now let's uh, witness, ow, ow, ow. And he does this howl, and then he does it again, but yeah. goes like, ah, oh, my doctor says I'm not supposed to do that. But I'll keep doing it. It's not Wolfman Jack, but I'm wondering if they were referencing Wolfman Jack. When... Oh, that, that's a definite reference to him, because that's what he was known for. Uh, now, this will be a little, this is a real bit of trivia, but uh, I do remember him being in one other thing, and that was in an episode of Galactica 1980. <laughs> it was one of the worst TV shows ever. Wait, uh, Battlestar not, not Galactica? Battlestar, not Battlestar Galactica, Galactica 1980. It was like a sequel TV series. And they had supposedly found Earth, and they were waiting to try to introduce themselves because the Cylons were on their tail. And there was an episode where Wolfman Jack was in there. It was, it was god-awful, terrible. There's only even one season? Kid, oh, wow. It didn't even... Well, it didn't even last a whole season. I think only about six to 12 ten. episodes. Ten. There's only 10 episodes. I'm looking at it right now. Oh, my God. I got to watch this. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty bad. Of course, I'm one of the oddballs. I never care for the original Battlestar Galactica. <gasps> oh. I, I'll admit, when I was I was looking forward to it, I watched it. I loved, like, the first three to four episodes, and then I got bored with it. It's kind of like, what is this? It's... Uh, not going anywhere. Oh, but uh, it, yeah, uh, this is not a Battlestar Galactica podcast. That'll be a different time. Big disagreement on that one, folks. <laughs> yeah, I, I love the reboot, though. The reboot, I was skeptical at first, but I loved it. Oh yeah. But anyway, <laughs> actually, he ha- Wolfman Jack has the wrong house. Congratulations, Mrs. O'Sullivan. <laughs> My name isn't O'Sullivan. Mine is top of the morning to you, Wolf Mammy Lamb. <laughs> uh, listen, Lojack. Uh... That's Wolfman, Jack. Yeah, yeah, much cooler. Listen, our name is Bundy. Yeah, B-U-N-D and sometimes Y. <laughs> and he has a, a prize of a million dollars, but it's for Mrs. O'Sullivan. Okay. Right now, Stephen, uh, completely on the record, what would you have done? Would you have uh, would you have been honest, or would you have pulled an owl? Well, I would have been honest because you got to remember they're probably going to ask for ID or something like that. Nah, I would have pulled an owl. Worst worst case scenario, I still don't get a million dollars. 
Top of yeah. the morning to you, uh, Wolfman. <laughs> well, I thought the writers kind of missed a little opportunity here to, to make it one of the other neighbors, like the McGinties or the uh, Donnellys from across the street or something like that. See, I, that would have been funny. I, you're right. And I misremembered. Well, misremembered. I, again, uh, listeners, I told Stephen, I don't remember watching this uh, episode at all. I'm sure I've seen it, but I do not have any memory of it. So my first watching for my brain was a few hours ago. And I when he said a million dollars, I'm like, oh, it's going to be the Jeffersons. And Al's going to do something messed up to ruin Marcy and Jefferson becoming millionaires. When they said O'Sullivan, I, w- I just went, who? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then Kelly has to enter in and say, no, our name is Bundy, B-U-N-D, and sometimes Y. Okay, that was my... That was my joke. The 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 L one may have hit you. Talk you. about it. Yeah. Oh boy, that that was so great because obviously, B U N D and sometimes Y, that's the old uh, grammatical thing that we're all taught in elementary school. What are the vowels? A E I O U, and sometimes Y, which just shows you how silly the English language is. I don't think they teach that anymore, unfortunately. Wait. <laughs> Maybe they do, but wrong? I don't know. No, I said they don't teach that anymore, unfortunately. Huh. Was it wrong? Well, I, I'm just joking. It's like I'm joking because, you know, I teach English. That's why um, I was. That's why I thought you were being serious because I know you, yeah. you're more in tune to the uh, new teachings of the day. And I'm like, oh, really? Was that a wrong? Was, did they find out that they were teaching something wrong? <laughs> Who knows? Anyway. <laughs> Listen, Mrs. Bundy, you have just won first-class accommodations on our luxury cruise to the Caribbean. How come only she won? Because she wrote the most inspiring essay for New Widow's magazine. (laughs) New Widow's pay. So you do share my dream. We find out that Peggy does win something. What did she win, Tyler? uh, So, yes, you're right. After Wolfman finds out that it's the Bundys, he puts the million-dollar check away and goes, I do have a winning for you, and pulls out a VIP first... He pulls out a first-class ticket to a all-inclusive cruise to the Bahamas, which, man... It, I guess it does sound bad from a, um, after you didn't win a million, you just got a cruise. But, Stephen, ooh, could you imagine finding out you won a first class, or a legitimate one? Publisher's Clearinghouse yes. was legitimate. A first class, all-inclusive, listeners, all-inclusive means all-inclusive, all including booze. Yeah. So you're just living like a kid, like a god for about a week or two. Oh. <laughs> I would love to go on a cruise someday. I haven't been maybe in about three or four years. I can go on one first. I'll go, want to visit some other places. We'll talk about that when we wrap up here. Mm-hmm. The great joke in here, I thought it was one of the greatest jokes in this particular episode when uh, Wolfman Jack says uh, she won it because she wrote the most beautiful essay of New Widows magazine. Oh, Al looks at Peg and says, 
New Widow's Magazine. So you do share my dream bag. (laughs) (laughs) Because that actually is a joke that has sitcom roots, both both before this show and after. I uh, post the show would be the show Frasier, where it was revealed in one of the later seasons when the cast of Cheers, the show that Frasier was a spinoff of, met up in an airport lobby so they could actually have like a guest appearance on his show. And in the in Cheers, I had forgotten this and they brought it back up pre-internet Frazier tells everybody in Cheers that his father's dead, but in Frazier, his dad's living with him, and I don't think yeah. anybody remembered it, but they brought it back, and they're like, Frazier, uh, um, uh, was it Ted Williams? Not Ted. Ooh, this is not good. Um, the guy Sam. Who Sam. Yeah. Um, okay, so anyway, the, the character, uh, character from Cheers goes to Frazier, I thought you said your dad was dead. And the look on the character who plays, the actor who plays Frasier's dad, is just like, what the, f-? it's so, it's played as such a laugh and Frasier's all embarrassed, like, well, we had a horrible fight, and, uh, <laughs> so it's always played on this crash, like, they have to explain why they would say something so horrific. This one, not only is it so normal that Peggy would do such a thing, and it, should be obvious, but it caught me off guard when Al just goes, you share my dream. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, if only, if only. <laughs> but you know, I don't want to go on a cruise by myself. Hey, Mr. Wolfman, don't you think you could just bend the rules a little bit so that Al can come? No! Please. <laughs> Man is unimpeachable. His character beyond reproach. He combines the best qualities of both Wolf and man. It's 50 bucks in it for you. Sold. I tell you what, I'll take this first class ticket and I'll change it in for two economies. But Peg, I don't want to go on a cruise. All that rocking up and down, side to side, I'll be throwing up all night. And then there's the motion of the boat. Peggy wants to take Al with her. So she wonders if she can trade the one ticket for a lower class ticket. And I love Wolfman Jack. He says, anything's possible. You got $50? So they're paying more to get two lower class tickets. Okay. So this is really great because you and me were just talking, Stephen, about the episode that made us so mad. And I, uh, which for listeners, that's Kelly Breaks Out. And some of you might be thinking, well, how come they're liking this lazy, unexplained thing about splitting the tickets? Well, listeners, the reason we like this is because this is a great way to jam the Darcys into this episode, which they should have no it, like they should have no connection to this episode whatsoever, but it actually works because once they uh, find out that Wolfman Jack is a, a a complete degenerate and will totally take their money and just split the tickets, well, if you can split the tickets once, ergo, you should be able to split them again. But to throw this in, there is a line in there that just kills me 
when Al finds out he's going to go on a cruise, he says, I don't want to go on a cruise, all that rocking and tossing and turning. And then there's the motion of the boat. <laughs> Which I think, Stephen, you and me, just to, just us, do a whose line is it anyway thing and bring the sex points back in where just on whose line, the points mean nothing. Ours mean nothing. So I'm going to go with the fact that Al had to go on this cruise at some point. Peggy got lucky. Point for Peggy. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. Wow, a Caribbean cruise. Sounds romantic. No, it is. Al must hate it. He does. <laughs> oh, it sounds like such fun. I wish Jefferson and I could do something like that. Maybe I could trade these two tickets for four less expensive ones. Do you think they do that? Well, let's find out. Mr. Man! Yo! that you could trade these two really good tickets for four just okay ones? Hey, anything's possible. You got 50 bucks? Marcy? <laughs> Why not? You know, if I don't spend it, Jefferson will. Here you go. Sub-sub economy class. <laughs> wonder what that is <laughs> you know and originally that wasn't gonna ha the darcy's weren't in there when the when the bunnies got their prize mm -hmm. and it was not until later when marcy is sitting in the table next to um next to peggy and she's excited for peggy and she wants to know if she can go and peggy asked wolfman jack if they could trade the two tickets in for four other lower class tickets He's still there, exactly. sitting on their couch. Yes, he stays there the entire time. <laughs> well, you know oh, what? Uh, you know what? Uh, at least the Fox Studio treated him pretty well. Um, but I, you're right, Stephen. It's true. Like they, Jeff, the Darcys just kind of horn their way in, but it makes perfect sense narratively because obviously, Al and Peggy are going to go. That no one's going to question that Peggy was able to get Al in board on this. That's perfect. But that means either Kelly or Bud have to go or two other couples, another couple needs to go to make the whole comedy work. Yeah, and I'm sure they had it planned out because we do. We will be reviewing Ship Happens Part 2 next week. And you're going to see there's a reason why Kelly and Bud stay at home. Still, I thought it was kind of a weak uh, thing to do. Barge. <laughs> so anyway, you then cut to <laughs> the the Darcys as well as the Bundys on the boat, rocking back and forth in this dingy room. I mean, it is there's rust in there. It doesn't look very inviting. It's like two cots in there, two sets of cots. What do they call it? Like sub economy class? I think so, something <laughs> like that. <laughs> Which that's what I'd be buying, Stephen. I don't know about you, but if I was joined on a on a cruise and I was like, "Ooh, two thousand for first class, a thousand for regular, five hundred for economy." Do you wish to have sub economy? 
for 150. You know what? Give me that. <laughs> I'd be there. Yeah. <laughs> and then I like it when they're on there, they make a reference that they're on the love barge. You know, that's a direct reference to the love boat. Never seen. Now, did you ever see any of the love boat episodes? You remember those? Did you ever see any in reruns? The only time I have any interaction with the love boat is the South Park episode where it's the Catholic Boat Show. Uh, I missed that one. (laughs) That's all I'm going to say because this is a family-friendly podcast and anybody who knows what I'm talking about will be laughing. Those who don't can find it on their own. (laughs) But yeah, I'm going to have to find that on my own because I, I, I stopped watching South Park at one point. I started watching it again a few years ago. And I thought, man, I missed all the great lampooning they did against stuff. But uh, oh, you'll like that episode, Stephen. Uh, just type in on Google "South Park Catholic Love Boat," and it'll give you the episode. It's a good one. But yeah, no, no episodes for me. I didn't watch it, so please regale me with the love boat. Okay, I remember it. I was like about nine or ten when it came out. It came out in '76, so I would have been nine, and it was a very popular popular thing my 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 mom liked to watch it as and my aunt would come over and watch it with her and so she, uh me and my brother and my two cousins would watch it and it was kind of weird because you had your regular cast uh gavin mcleod played, played captain stubing uh lauren twos played the cruise director julie ted lange played uh isaac the bartender and fred grandy played the purser uh, his name was gopher and Bernie Coppell played the ship's doctor. What they would do is they would usually have three stories, like uh, one couple's coming on, and then another couple's coming on, and then another couple's coming on. And each one had their own story, but it was like three writers, three or four writers working together to intermingle these stories so that love comes out on the love boat. And not all of them were related to romantic love. Sometimes it was love between parents and their children oh sometimes really i guess you could say yeah (laughs) the love boat are you serious (laughs) in fact you have to remember this (laughs) the last couple of years they had a cast change Mm. guess who was cast on that oh during that cast change i wonder did was it somebody who looked like uh our friend jefferson yes exactly they had one other cast member come in. Her name was Jill Whalen, and she was Captain Stooping's oh. daughter. Oh, that's sad. Are you telling me Ted McGinley? I knew he was from The Love Boat because they made references to him before uh-huh. on The Verminator and others. But, uh, oh, he was brought in when the show was crumbling? That's sad. Yeah. I think it was like the last two or three. You know, I wasn't watching it by then. That was the mid-'80s, and I was in high school and I was on Saturday nights, I was usually working at the movie theater and on Friday nights I was playing football, you know, in the fall at least. But, uh, and in between you're watching love boat. (laughs) Yeah, no, not at that age, but that was a big, huge hit. And then it led into fantasy Island, which was also a big hit at that time, which that was the, yeah, uh, which listeners, I'm sorry to interrupt, Stephen, but which listeners, um, I just found out, this is live on my phone right now, 
uh, both Fantasy Island and Love Boat, all 10 seasons. Whoa. All 10 seasons of the Love Boat available to watch on Amazon Prime Video. All of it. So get binging. Jesus, 10 seasons? <laughs> yeah, 10 seasons. And Fantasy Island, that was one we watched too as a family. You know, my mom and my aunt and me and my cousins. Hmm. And they had some really good episodes in there. You Some were, some were kind of dark. Yeah. And there was an implication that Mr. Rourke, you know, Ricardo Montalban, was God. There were a few things that kind of made it seem like maybe that's who he is. Mm-hmm. And what happened was people were coming on and it was the same format in a way you'd have to come in on a plane and maybe two or possibly three couples would come out and Mr. Rourke would say so-and-so and so-and-so, or maybe not a couple, maybe just a one person that he comes here to confront a thing that happened in their past life. This person's fantasy is to do this. And quite often there were dark lessons to these fantasies. Oh. And sometimes there were comical ones. And I got to tell you, this one that I always remembered was uh, Artie Johnson was a guest star. And he just made a brief appearance. He burst into Mr. Rourke's office and he says, and he's wearing this World War One flight suit and it's all tattered and he's got smoke, you know, stains on it and his face. And he says, Mr. Rourke, it was incredible. I saw the Red Baron and I shot him down. Thank you, Mr. Rourke. Thank you. <laughs> and he leaves. A minute later, ta- uh, and he made oh, and he made the comment, but that, but that uh, old triplane that the Red Baron was flying was very small. Well, he leaves. A minute later, Tattoo walks in. He's all covered in black smoke, and he says, "Boss, <laughs> don't ever do that to me again." Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a Red Baron. So, wow, are you uh, watching? You you watching that their uh, Fantasy Island Shutter movie that just came out? I don't think so. Uh, I have seen that, and I'm convinced it was made by somebody who absolutely hated the Fantasy Island show and wanted to poison any Gen X or Millennials from watching it because it's trash. But the show that you're describing sounds a lot like the Twilight Zone meets the uh, the British show The Prisoner, which is also on uh, Amazon Prime. Uh, listeners, make sure you watch everything that me and Steven are talking about because it's all available. All of the stuff we're talking about, the reason why people have not binged it in so long is because it's not available. Now that we're in streaming land, all this stuff is available. It's worth it. Four bucks. Do a trial run where you get a week or a month free and then binge an entire show that took poor Steven 10 years to watch. <laughs> yeah, I already watched Scrubs in a matter of uh, like uh, six weeks. You know? Mm-hmm. Not too I, long ago on Amazon. I watched all of I watched all of the Mary Tyler Moore show on Hulu. Yay! Like it's it's great. But mm-hmm. that being said, let's get back to a different one, Stephen. <laughs> mm-hmm. Thanks for bringing me, Peg. Oh, it's not so bad. No, it's like twenty thousand leagues under the sea. <laughs> Except I'm married to the giant squid. <laughs> you always be so negative? Why did you cross the road? (laughs) 
All right, so the room's a little cramped. Most of the time, we're gonna be up on deck, eating, dancing, living the good life. <laughs> so, who's the entertainment? Gilbert Gottfried. Oh. Besides, who cares about the room? This is a singles cruise. That means wall-to-wall -wall women who will be sunning themselves with their tops unfastened. <laughs> laughing at? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> We're just happy to be here with the women we love. And you guys. <laughs> well, I'm just glad you're looking on the bright side of things. Me too, Peg. In fact, I can't remember when I've been so happy. Al has a great line in here because he says, no, it's like 20,000 leagues under the sea, and I married the giant squid. Hmm. And I love that reference because I read 20,000 leagues under the sea when I was like in the eighth grade, did a book report on it. I love that book. Same. That was one of the first, yeah, that was one of the first books I remember reading that really I could see everything. I experienced everything. And his version and his, and Jules Verne, his mysterious silent that he wrote. That was equally good. It makes you want to do it. Like, I love space stories. I love mm -hmm. Star Trek, Stephen, but you couldn't pay me enough to go on a epic space trip because that would terrify the crap out of me. If I can't see Earth, I'm, I'm terrified. I would, while I was reading that book, in a heartbeat, have hopped into a submarine and went down and saw the mysteries of the ocean. That book is so incredible. Every person should read it. It's so good. <laughs> You're right. It is. I loved it. I loved it. Uh, Jules Verne, you, I wouldn't say he's the father of science fiction, but he was one of the early pioneers for sure. When they show up on Atlantis, when they just fly through or fly or like swim through it and barely even notice, I'm like, yeah, this is Atlantis. I found it. It's amazing. Now, let's keep going. And you're just like mesmerized where you're just like, wow, we're in the area of mythics. But it literally all could be true because we can't go down there. Like, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Hi, and welcome to Cruise Light, the high, fun, low-fat vacation for women who want to watch the whales instead of being mistaken for them. <laughs> Oh, wait a second. I mean, you're telling me that every passenger on this ship is, how can I put this, an island unto herself? Well, maybe now. But by the time we're done with our deprivation diet, a non-stop exercise program, we'll look as beautiful as those two. <laughs> What to? She means us, poop deck. Oh my God, she does mean the wives. Jefferson, we're on the voyage of the dam. We get to our next segment in which uh, Al realizes we're on the voyage of the dam. Mm. Okay. Because, tell us about what they find out about this cruise. 
So basically, we find ourselves on the next scene in where uh, the two couples, Al and Peggy and Jefferson and Marcy, are all on their, as you put it, Stephen, a very dingy, dingy room. And they're getting the introduction by their host. And it caught me off guard because the host is in what I would consider a, a island unto herself. But apparently, as Al puts it, that's what everybody else is on this ship because she lets her our host lets them know that this is a ship for the uh women who wish to be amongst the whales not mistaken as whales <laughs> as i think i quoted her pretty well um yeah. and if is lo- but don't you worry folks as long as these islands onto themselves women they go through every single thing to not call them fat. I don't think they use the term fat once in this episode. Um, no. And <laughs> they, um, they ha- they're they doing exercises and all this kind of stuff. And they, as long as they stick to this program, by the end of it, they'll be looking like these two. And, and I love that line by Jefferson. <laughs> what two? <laughs> it's... It's so bad. It's so bad. It's like an SNL skit. Jeff, uh, Ted McGinty is so good at this. He doesn't. He just. It's like he's doing a my a sketch show, like an improv thing, where he's just like, "What to?" He's. T- yeah. <laughs> oh, it's just. It's so funny. Now, here's something I want to point out, though. We don't know who played that woman. The first woman who came in. No. Her, her, it is not listed. Uh Uh-uh. And it, it kind of shocks me because it's kind of like her name should have been listed because she did have some lines in there. Mm -mm. I'm smelling uh, PA from the Fox studio who just, who knows, who just probably, maybe they shot this as a placeholder uh, to show the woman they were going to cast but she was actually good enough and maybe some money was uh, exchanged under the table here and there to not upset the, uh, upset the screenwriting guild. And Fox was small enough that they could get away with some shady stuff like this. I'm not joking. <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe I need to watch the end credits again, but I couldn't find her listed either on a, on a fandom wiki or internet movie database. Same. That's why I just called her the host. Because <laughs> even these like bimbos that don't never get a name, they at least get they get a fake name in the credits usually. So I was surprised that I couldn't find her. Why didn't you tell me this was a cruise for fat women? Because you didn't ask me. Well, I gotta go. I'm getting my hair done for free by Mr. Maurice. You know who that is? Man with a lot of cats. No, he is the stylist to the stars. Who do you think does Sandra Bernhardt's hair? Ray Charles. Let's go, Peggy. We should have left them at home. Should have left us at the altar. Hey, Al, you know what I'm thinking? How long did it take us to swim home from here? So basically, this cruise is very strange because Peggy and Marcy decide to go explore this uh, 
this ship that's full of overweight women specifically basically everybody al hates at his shoe store is on this cruise trying to lose weight and obviously al and jefferson are staying inside they're they're going oh why do we have to be here when uh somebody really awesome knocks on their door i think they're awesome she sounded thin though steven yeah (laughs) so so bad Don't answer that. That's a trap. What kind of trap? You know, they say you who you open the door, they slap two pieces of bread around you, and you're never heard from again. Hello, is there anyone in there? Mm, I don't know. She sounds thin. I'm gonna open it. Hi, my name's... Wait a second, I can't remember my name. Quick, Al, what's my name? Captain Nonads. You two are very funny. Are either of you Gilbert Gottfried? No, he is. Well, uh, I wanted to find out if either of you will be taking aerobics classes. Are you taking them? I'm teaching them. We're taking them. Excuse me, Gretchen, but uh, I I thought that all the passengers were... Jurassic. (laughs) Uh, I I mean, jolly. May I share something with you? Sure, Jefferson, would you step outside? What I meant was, since you're not part of the diet group, you can participate in our after-hours activities. Uh, what, What kind of... After our activities. Well, after our 6.30 roundup and lockdown for our larger passengers, we put away the celery and those disgusting chalky shakes and bring out the real food. Tonight is carnival, couscous, and clothing optional lombada. Jefferson, I'm dreaming. Pinch me. Let me get this straight. At 6.30, you herd all the buffaloes back to their cells. You lock them up. And then a wild orgy of scantily clad crew and us take over the ship. Right. Uh, is that okay? <laughs> Thank you. Great. I'll see you guys there. Gretchen, though, the woman who comes in to talk to Al and uh, Jefferson, Lisa Stahl. Wow, she's beautiful. She's an actress, and believe it or not, she was known for being in Jerry Maguire, Baywatch Nights, and Pacific Blue. And she was born March 19, 1965 in Miami, Florida. She has uh, 34 acting credits. And looking at them a little bit, she was also in Silk Stockings, and she was in A Wonderful World of Disney episode. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, 
Jern McGuire, she was a former girlfriend. She was an NYPD blue. She was in an episode of Murphy Brown. And of course, Mary with Children. Um, Baywatch, she was actually in the original Baywatch. And he's like, uh, she was in an episode of Moonlighting. How many uh, credits did you say? How many roles did you say she had? She had about, yeah, 34 acting credits. It's going to be 35 tonight um, <laughs> as she stars in my dreams because, man, like, normally these beautiful women that they get are just, like, stereotypically beautiful or whatnot. They don't really, like, flash it, but she was just, I would, like, double take in modern day if she walked past me. I'd be like, whoa! <laughs> like, she is really, really sexy. And, um, mm. yeah, uh, so sexy that it, for, she made Jefferson forget his name. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was one of my favorite parts. Yeah. Al, what's my name? Captain Nonads. Mm-hmm. And you know what? It's <laughs> such a silly thing, but you know what? I understand the marketing she is perfectly cast in the world of Mary with Children as the instructor of this aerobics class because, Stephen, if you and me were Alan Jefferson and we were introduced to her and she said, would you boys like to take this aerobics class? And I said, are you in the class? No, I teach it. I think we both would just go, yeah, we're going. <laughs> yes, definitely, especially when I was younger. Oh yeah, like I'm just. I'm sure I could find new, more endurance <laughs> for her aerobic class. Oh, and I totally forgot, Stephen. The reason she's here in the first place, she's not there to just like introduce herself. She's there because she's searching for somebody that she uh, thinks that Al or Jefferson might be. Do you remember who she was? Who she's looking for? Oh, yeah. She is looking for one of my favorite comedians, Gilbert Gottfried. Which, yes, it must be just a uh, a joke that everyone, that they would hate him because he is hilarious. Um, and we're going to get to talk about him a lot more next week. Exactly. And until then, listeners, if you get a chance, check out the Gilbert Gottfried podcast where he is so funny he's got tons of guests uh going about talking about old hollywood and st- the early days of stand-up and all the works he was in it's really really good check that out but yeah they think oh. he's gilbert Gottfried. the uh again what an awesome cruise i only paid 130 dollars i have to stay in this digi room but i get to be on a cruise with the bahamas and i get to listen to gilbert Gottfried. i want to return this duck why it's very annoying! It just says the same thing over and over again! Go ahead, say it! Say it! Just one, say it! I just... Ah! What? What about him? If you're hurt and can't work, you get cash for bills, rent, food, from Affleck! Okay. Affleck. If you're hurt and can't work, this is much better. At least I learned something. Affleck! <laughs> well, he doesn't do the Affleck voice anymore, but he used to. Oh man, that made him, anyway. That made him more money than most things. So yeah, 
the whole Gilbert Godfrey joke set aside, she does proclaim that she's there to let them know that after the cattle are sent back home to to the ranch. (laughs) I had to go with that, Stephen. It just seems so appropriate. They start up this weird uh, cruise ship that becomes, they bring out the real food and the clothing optional uh, activities with all the hot both male and female crews uh, employees. So Al and Jefferson are a titty. Now, before we go back to the party, though, we do have to take a little trip back to the Bundy house. Oh, and Wolfman Jack is still there. You know the trouble with rock and roll today? Took out the bubble machine. Um, Mr. Jackman? It's not that we haven't enjoyed your cute little stories about things that happened even before Dick Clark was born, but you've been here for a week. I mean, shouldn't you be out cruising with the hoe dads or or the the hoe moms or whatever hoes you guys run around with? You know, there's a lot more to Wolfman Jack than just, hi, here's your prize. You ever listen to Wolfman Jack on the radio live from Planet Hollywood? Yeah! Yeah! Mm-hmm. Whatever he says, just, just say yes. <laughs> yes. I also wrote a book, my autobiography. Would you like me to read you a little bit of it? <laughs> oh boy i haven't seen the second part of this uh episode steven so you're just gonna have to give me a lot of good faith that they're gonna do better with this joke it is cute seeing wolfman jack just hauling up at uh (laughs) the bundy's house but yeah I, i this was one thing i didn't like about it and you you like to use the term shoehorn, and I think that's what they're doing with the Bundy kids in this episode. And the next episode, they have a lot more to do. But I thought this scene, it seemed really unnecessary in many ways. Mm-hmm. Wolfman Jack starts by saying, you want to know what the problem with rock and roll is today? By the way, I will tell you what the problem with, is with rock and roll <sighs> is today. Go ahead, Stephen. It's, it's not very good. And <laughs> I read uh, Alice Cooper's... Uh, autobiography golf monster and great book it's a really fun read and he talks about music in one chapter he said that he can literally name dozens and dozens of of classics from the 50s he said he can do the same with the 60s he said then that in the 70s he can think of some ultimate classic rock uh, songs he said in the 80s it starts to get harder In the 90s, he said even harder. And in the 2000s, much less. And he talked about timeless messages of rock and roll are really gone. Because now it's geared more towards, you know, what's going on around us at this given moment. And just to give an example, you know, he didn't mention this, but I thought of his song, 18. I'm 18 and I don't know what I want. I'm 18. I'm a boy and a man. That's something 
that you can identify with when you're a kid in the 1950s, 1960s, 1970s or 80s or 90s. Of course, it wasn't. It was only written in 72 or 73. But you get my point there. It's a timeless message that they, we can all identify with. Mm-hmm. And if Kelly and Bud were here listening to you, Stephen, they would be looking at each other and rolling their eyes because yeah. they don't understand why we're talking about old rock and roll and stuff like that when this should be a cruise line episode. Yes. So yeah, I I agree with you. It this does not this departure back. I would normally give chalk this up as a contract thing where uh, the characters Bud and Kelly need to be shown so they can actually get paid. But we already had them in the beginning, done very 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 well plot wise for the episode. They should have yeah they should have focused on the cruise mm-hmm. because like I said in part two the kids get a lot better of a storyline. And a great commentary, too, but we'll talk about that next week. Maybe it was a Wolfman Jack request. Maybe, uh, maybe. yeah, maybe they like were like, we 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 thought we purchased him for an afternoon, but instead we got him for the weekend. Well, tell well, him we don't wrong. need him anymore. We did, but he yeah. won't leave. <laughs> well, don't worry. They get rid of him for part two. Ooh, I'm and, excited. <laughs> and you'll find out how, too, when you watch it. But... Yeah, that was ridiculous, and I think probably the only reason is uh, remember Bud kind of whispered to Kelly if he asks to say if he asks something, just say yes, and he says, want, <laughs> "Want me to read my autobiography?" Yes, and I think maybe that was it. I don't know if he wrote an autobiography or not, but maybe that's why. He was contracted for that scene. Uh, I was like, Stephen, did you read his autobiography? I was literally going to ask that. (laughs) No, like I said, I don't even know if he wrote one or not, but I'm thinking maybe he did, and he was supposed to be able to mention that in the show or something. I would read Wolfman Jack's autobiography. (laughs) I'm sure that'd be fascinating. Yeah, I guess it would be. 1995, book by Brian Lorison and Wolfman Jack. Have Mercy, Confessions of the Original Rock and Roll Animal, 1995. So that that was it. (laughs) He was pitching his damn book on this episode. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) This is the best vacation I have ever been on. Thank you. You beat me! Have you been drinking? Not since I had a drink. What do you want? Oh, it is amazing out there. The women may be huge, but the male crew can swab my deck anytime. Well, that shouldn't take long. Where's Peg? Oh, she's still getting her hair done. I don't know why, because it always looks really silly. (laughs) Don't tell Al. Anyway, Al. At 6.30, I am going back.
upstairs for aqua aerobics. The male crew members are gonna pretend to be dolphins, and I get to pet their dorsal fins. <laughs> and vice versa. <laughs> Don't tell Jefferson. Marcy. Did you happen to notice if any of the female crew members are going to pretend to be dolphins? No. I think they're going to be mermaids, or whatever it is you call it when you swim around topless. Oh! <laughs> I better go see what's keeping Peggy. Oh, yeah. And, and I want to point this out, too. You mentioned that for both the men and the women. And I think, I know women, Mary Jones has done this before, like going back to season, I think it was two, with the two-parter, when Marcy loses her ring down Zorro's pants. <laughs> you know, we have those moments. But I think in these latter seasons, you see men uh, being used uh, in the same way beautiful women are. You know, the good-looking hot men are used in the same way the good-looking hot women are mm -hmm. a lot more in these latter seasons so it's a show that oh. really doesn't demonize one gender one race one class or any type of where we as humans like to group people up and segment them into those groups married with children breaks those groupings down and even though those groups exist Everyone is all equally deplorable. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, which is what I love about it. So, um, yeah. But and, and I love Marcy. She's saying you can swap my deck anytime. Oh, holy crap, Stephen! Rewind because before that, uh, very casual line of Marcy being horny like she usually is. Um, what? <laughs> We get a very realistic look of an uncomfortable... I rarely feel uncomfortable in Married with Children, but I felt a teeny bit uncomfortable when Marcy walks in, the husband of her friend, where she's on a cruise ship with her also husband, really, really drunk, very good acting drunk by Amanda Beers, and jumping in his arms and laying a big old kiss down and being really flirty. Oh yeah, that, that I that was awesome, and I love Al's response. Marcy, you beaked me. <laughs> I didn't hear the beaked part. Oh, that was. Oh good. man. <laughs> but yeah, like I've been, I I've been very closely in a scenario like this. I wasn't on a cruise, but I was at a party where a good friend's fiance of mine was really really having fun she was happy that i was there i wasn't dating anybody anybody at the time but uh they both invited me i was good friends with both of them and she jumped up into my arms and was like you are amazing and whatnot she wasn't being wasn't doing anything but it was like it was making me uncomfortable and i usually if if this was a Marcy thing, I would assume Al is revolted at the idea of Marcy. But I also think he's a little uncomfortable, too, just because this 
you're my what you're my you're my wife's friend it's strange as the side of marcy i don't think we've ever seen before so it's so jarring <laughs> right Are you ready to roll buddy 10 seconds to lock down <laughs> five four three two one <laughs> But anyway, we fortunately get to go back to the cruise ship. And Alan Jefferson are can't wait to get out on the front deck. And I got to tell you, I love Jefferson's outfit. <laughs> With that coat. Oh, he has a um... captain's hat and sunglasses. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> well, going back, like I said, I'm back to the boat. I just, Alan Jefferson are ready. They want to get out there. And I just love Jefferson's outfit. That is an awesome outfit on the boat with the jacket and the glasses and the captain's hat. And they start uh, boogieing all the way out. Did he steal that from the love boat set, like, in between shootings, do you think? Like... <laughs> well, love boat had been canceled for over 10 years. Exactly. He's just, uh, Ted McGinty is just raiding the studio closet. McGinley. You keep calling him McGinty. McGinley. McGinley. I... I always remember it as McGinty for some weird reason. Uh, <clears throat> McGinley. McGinley? McGinley, McGinley. Yes. The McGintys were uh, neighbors oh. mentioned but never seen. Okay, at least it's coming from the same part of my memory. All right, so, uh, yeah, like maybe it was just like the set of the love boat that Ted McGinley like raided in between, and because you're right, maybe he was bringing the love boat like charm that he remembered from this, because I do agree it's it's some fine-ass clothing that he's wearing. I like it. Mm -hmm. Then they start to go on out to the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and all of a sudden, they start dancing their way back in. And you get a view of the worst hair job or hairdo that Peggy Bundy ever received. Well, well, what do you think? Oh, about what, Peg? My hair! Oh, your hair! Oh, it's... In... Fine, Peg! If you're loyal, love it. Shut up! No, no, he said that, uh, I'll love it. You ready to go, Peg? Yeah, I guess. Well, it's kind of cool up there. You better wear a bag. Yeah! I meant a hat. I meant a hat. I can't go out in public like this. Oh, I know you can't, sweetheart. I know you can't. Come on, Jefferson, let's go. You can't go either. Why? My hair don't look like crap. <laughs> Why don't I just go check things out? You just call me if you need me, okay? like <laughs> okay i gotta ask steven okay so you said this is one of your favorite episodes so this might be hard for you to answer 
if you did not know that it was Peggy that was going to do that was going to stop that well, specifically stopped Al what do you think was going to be the thing that was going to stop them because they get all the way up to just going out the all they got to do is walk out the door and they're going to be in party land but this is married with children and at the very least Al Bundy does not get to party what is going to stop no. them I thought the boat was going to start sinking that's what I thought was going to happen. <laughs> mm-hmm. I did not. I completely forgot about Peggy. What did you think what it was going to be? If you can remember what your uh, mind was thinking when you first saw this. <laughs> I really don't remember. I, I do remember seeing it when it originally aired. I do re- remember that. Hmm. But uh, I can't remember if I thought of anything. But you know something's going to stop. Well, I just didn't know what. And this hairdo that has it's like one end is sticking one way another part sticking another way and she wants to know what al thinks of uh her hair and he says fine and jefferson has this great line if you're lyle love it oh my god you're lyle love it (laughs) oh i thought you were gonna say well it's pretty cold outside you better wear a bag I mean, a, a hat. <laughs> oh, yeah, that part here, too. That was vibe. <laughs> Just, it's uh, like, uh, w- uh, this This better be the clip art of the episode, by the way, as David. I hope it is, because that hairdo is incredible. <laughs> I love the, the comment, who did that, Ray Charles? <laughs> uh, it's it's insane. No, that implies that it's not done well. It's done very, very, very well. It's just so raw. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and by the way, this isn't, uh, again, as well a tightly written episode here, folks. This hairdo doesn't come out of nowhere. This hairdo was referenced by Marcy in a previous scene where she's drunk and after she sucks face with Al... Yeah, <laughs> that happened. Goes, Peggy's getting her hair done, which it also looks kind of silly to begin with. <laughs> like, yeah, because yeah, I think uh, Katie Seagal did wear a wig. Oh, really? I could have sworn. Yeah. I thought she would have just gotten her hair done. That, <laughs> I can just hear her going, ah, what did you do? <laughs> Oh, I just assume she's so much fun on set. Like, <laughs> right? Uh huh. But anyway, I love it when Al says, "Oh, it's fine," and uh, Jefferson says, "If you're Lyle, love it." And uh, <laughs> and Al's trying to say, "No," he says, "I'll love it. I'll love it." And she is crying. It's a screeching cry, comparable to. Fingernails going down a chalkboard. Oh, it's so good. One of Katie Zagal's like best screams. But you mentioned Lyle Lovett. Well, just in case you're not you're not at least forty or older. Sorry, Stephen. Uh, Lyle Lovett is an American singer and songwriter, born in 1957, and also he's a record producer. He was active since 1980 and has recorded 13 albums and released 25 singles to date, including his highest entry, the number 10 chart hit on the U.S. Billboard Hot Country Songs chart, Cowboy Man, which I've never heard. 
But Lovett has won four Grammys, including Best Male Country Vocal Performance and Best Country Album. It's Not Big, It's Large was released in 2007, where it debuted and peaked on number two in the Top Country Album Chart. A new studio album, Natural Forces, was released on October 20th, 2009 by Lost Highway Records. Great studio. The last studio album on his Curb Records contract, Release Me, was released in February 2012, and he was married to Julia Roberts from June 1993 to March 1995. And I'm assuming... His hair is insane. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, in all honesty, well, I like the line, but I, you know, I'm just not, I'm not, I was never big into country. There's some country I like, but I wasn't too familiar with them. So I, I no, laugh I'm... just because of the way Jefferson said it and then how Al tried to say, he said, I'll love it. I'm a fan of Lyle Lovett, uh, his music. And I understand where they're going from. I'm surprised they didn't say David Lynch because that would have been actually more reference re- referential. But maybe nowadays, maybe Lynch wasn't very popular back then. But um, Lyle Lovett get characters, if you know, he's got like this real Palmador hair. Uh, it's really, 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 really high, high, high hair. Type it on Google, David Lynch, Lyle Lovett. And you'll understand what I'm saying. Like, it's big, high hair. So it's, it sounds better. Like, loyal, love it. So, yeah, it sounds good. It's time for no man to take a little break in the Jiggly Room. I'm the DJ, and I'm going to play a little bit of music that was on this week's episode of Marry With Children. fade back in Peggy at that point (laughs) you know she's crying screeching that loudly and she wants Al to stay with her and he reluctantly does even though he'd rather be out there on a Russ Meyer movie (laughs) oh man you don't mind staying in with me do you Al nah (laughs) I'd much rather be in here than up there in a Russ Meyer movie (laughs) (laughs) I am never leaving this room. Al. What? Make love to me. Why? I didn't screw up your hair. It's just that I feel so unattractive. Especially with those aerobics girls bouncing around up there. You know, I know you'd rather be on deck rather than staying in here with me, and I really do appreciate it. You know, Al, I know that I don't say it very much, but you are a great guy. 
Al. <laughs> oh, I smell that salt whole way here. Fine. If you'd rather be up there partying while your wife is here who needs you, just go right ahead. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> Russ Meyer. He was born March 21st, 1922. He lived until September 18th, 2004. He was an American film director and producer. Screenwriter. He did a lot of things as well as cinematography, editing, even acted and photographer. He is known for writing and directing a series of successful sexploitation films that feature campy humor, uh, satire, and large-breasted women, such as Faster Pussycat. Yes. They're faster, <laughs> and Pussycat Kill Kill. Yeah, you're right, uh, Stephen. Um, I just typed in Russ Meyer on Google Images, and he's the first male's, like, full male name that I ever typed that got more image results of big, busty women than men I've ever seen in my life. He's definitely, uh, he's definitely got a profile, like, he's <laughs> a portfolio. He's definitely got a portfolio going on here. <laughs> yeah, and watching that party out there was amazing <laughs> about what all these people are doing. And the, you even see Gretchen, you know, she's out there partying. Uh, even Jefferson is out there, out is looking at this portal. It's like these little eyes looking out at everything. And then uh, one of these girls, the girl, uh, one girl is called the party girl. And um, that's all she's called. She was originally uncredited, but uh, she did have a pretty decent career. And her name was Kim Anderson, this party girl. And she was the one who teasingly... <laughs> took off her uh, bathing suit top and flashed it in front of Al. And he's excited. Yeah. Could you imagine, like, dating slash engaged to Kim Anderson? And when you tell people, oh, yeah, yeah, she's uh, she's an actress. Oh, really? Does she in anything I've seen? <laughs> well, uh, she was in... Um... Crap, what did you, you say, Stephen? What was her uh, role? That you mentioned? No, I didn't mention. Well, you, she was the party girl. A party girl. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Okay. Yeah, yeah like yeah, you yeah. just tell people oh, her best uh, credit is uh, from Married with Children, Party Girl. Yeah. Yeah, That's but however, <laughs> she had an actual career, and I'm not saying it was super long, but she does have roughly. 11 credits. <laughs> you know what? That's 11 more than I got. Good on you, Mrs. Anderson. Um, yeah. <laughs> We're going down! What? You mean the party's moved? No! The ship is sinking! One of the fat women smelled the jerk chicken and tried to cut through the floor with a blowtorch! <laughs> If we were really sinking, you think I could look in this porthole and see? Fish! Oh my God, we're going to die! Thank you, Peg, for booking me on the Titanic. <laughs> uh, Stephen, I want to do the last part because I've actually—it's—it's uh, it's all Titanic reference stuff, and I've yeah. actually seen Titanic over the past two days. 
I did a full rewatch oh. of the Cameron thing. So, oh wow! Oh yeah, uh-huh. still good. So well, that's yeah, that's no problem. But uh, anyway, so at that point, that's when everything hits the fan. Jefferson and Marcy run back in. Oh my God, it was terrible. One of the women got a smell of what we were eating, and she, <laughs> what she do, use a blowtorch to get out, and it ruptured uh, the, um, it ruptured the hole, and now it's taking on water. And Al looks out, and he says, "Would I be able to see fish? Fish? Thank you, Peg, for booking me on the Titanic." <laughs> oh, I love it. And Stephen, you said it hits the fan. I think what you mean yeah. is, just like ship happens, ship hits the fan. <laughs> yeah. But yes, you're right. Uh, Al makes a reference to the Titanic, which uh, is funny to hear a reference to the Titanic made before the movie existed. Um, so for those of you who don't know, the Titanic was a huge liner that sailed from London to England. Uh, actually, let me rephrase that, that attempted to sail from London, England, to New York City on its maiden voyage. And by the way, guys, this was uh, this Titanic was built because of the huge flux of immigration to America from the United Kingdom. It was built in response to this huge draw of immigrants going to uh, the new country of America to bring more people faster. And on its maiden voyage, the biggest thing ever moving object ever constructed by human hands at that time was uh, carrying a total of 22,000 carrying a total of 2,254 passengers struck an iceberg uh, traveling at 22 knots and it at that speed was not able and the fact that it was a very uh, calm night no wit no waves were breaking upon the iceberg there is a reference in the James Cameron movie I only picked it up this time watching Stephen that on my fairly recent rewatch hey did we ever get those binoculars to the to the watch posts? No, we couldn't find them. Well, I hope they're uh, they're ready at the helm. It's so quick, but I'm like, oh, they didn't even have binoculars for the watch, guys. That's great. Well, on April 18th, three days after its departure, the ship collided with an iceberg, breaching the hulls, and the ship famously sunk and out of the 2254 passengers only 712 survived and this entire very famous tragedy was portrayed brilliantly by James Cameron's 1990s film The Titanic which if you haven't seen it is so worth a watch and there are two references to the Titanic in this uh, show not only the fact that Al screams the Titanic and the fact that it's sinking when the Titanic sank, but if you look at the portholes and you see the very cartoonish water rising, this is also a reference to Jack, 
played played by Leonardo DiCaprio, our main protagonist, who is being falsely accused of stealing the heart of the ocean, the diamond that was worn by his love interest, who uh, who is marrying the evil rich guy, and to get Jack out of his life frames him for stealing this by slipping the uh, diamond into his pocket and he handcuffs him in uh, a room and he leaves his manservant at gunpoint to guard him and at this point the ship is sinking and they flash to Jack outside you can see Jack's face in the porthole the water rising then later you see the room about like 20 minutes later Jack's looking out and there's water just about ready to pass the porthole cover. So the water rising above the porthole is also a visual to the Titanic that hadn't been captured yet by James Cameron, but it actually would be. The movie is incredible. I uh, it there is some CGI in there that only now I've caught, but it doesn't take me out. It's really, really a grabbing film and lets you know about a tragedy that up until Cameron's discovery of the Titanic underneath the ocean with his own money and his own submarines, we didn't know exactly what happened. We didn't know that the Titanic split in two and one side fell and the other side bobbled and sank back down. We only knew this by uh, listening to accounts by different people who were in lifeboats in the middle of the night in the northern Atlantic watching a pitch black dark thing happen. So uh, now we have proof. If you have any care about history or hearing about something called that you know about the Titanic, check out. You can do some reading or you could just watch the James Cameron uh, film and it's a good tertiary source to this uh, history. So uh, there you go. the film came out in, real quick. The movie came out in 1997. 1997. And I did have one really big gripe against James Cameron on this one. Hmm. There was a first mate on the ship, William McAllister Murdoch, mm-hmm. and he is shown taking money from Billy Zane's character. Now, eventually, Mr. Murdoch throws it back and says, your money can't save you or me. And then he pulls out his gun, and uh, he shoots one passenger, shoots the second passenger, then he's petrified, and then he shoots himself and uh, dies. According to all witness testimony, that never happened. Even though there were shots fired, witness testimony has uh, uh, confirmed that many, many shots were fired that night, and yeah. uh, so technically they're taking historical license. Murdoch very well could have done that. Now, the witnesses on the boat said that Say no, no. He that. Exactly. Yeah, surviving, yeah. And so that was the big, that was the only problem I had with this movie. Well, you weren't the only, uh, actually, Stephen, I'm sorry, this is actually in favor to you. You weren't the only one who had a problem with that. Murdoch's oh, family had a problem and sued yeah. Cameron and and jointly the studio got actual historians 
to bring up the real records of the witness testimony that, to Cameron's defense, he only had uh, brief glimpses of those. He wasn't able to get the full transcripts. Murdoch's family and lawyers were. And uh, they settled in court. Cameron didn't fight that at all. And they settled for, uh, I think it was like half a million dollars that went to uh, the school uh, foundations that Murdoch's descendants were a part of. So, yeah. Yeah, I knew Yeah, I knew about that, but that's my only gripe on the movie. Good movie, but I love the way it's kind of played here. To a certain extent, it's... Uh, when you read about the Titanic, and I have read a couple of books on it, and some of the witness testimony, uh, did you know that some people die while out on the rafts? Yeah. Yeah. And that it's, it was completely it's a terrifying dark. And, idea. They had to, and they had to listen to all the people out there in the water who were thrashing around and begging for help. There's a line read by Rose Dawson um, as an old as an old lady who goes, I think it was fifty seven or something like that lifeboats went into the water when Titanic sank from under us and only one came back. Mm-hmm. Only one. And these lifeboats I didn't catch this until about a few days ago on my most recent rewatch why are these lifeboats this is a quote why are these lifeboats being lowered with less people some they are they were tested in dublin they could hold the weight of 60 full-grown men and some of these boats with women and children are being lowered with 20 i saw one with uh with 30 or 40 i saw one with only 20 and that just boils my blood but i also believe it too I believe yeah. it, 100%. And there weren't enough lifeboats in the first place. Now, that, that whole case did change maritime law, mm-hmm. which governs, you know, uh, sailing or boating around the world. And so where they are required to have enough lifeboats because the company didn't want to have the deck clutter with too many. Was that uh, how it looked? And he even said, like, I fixed that problem by saying, fine, double the amount of lifeboats that are on the deck that won't look anymore and we'll build smaller lifeboats that could be placed inside of them and they said no because they didn't want to add that extra cost for building custom lifeboats that could be put inside a teeny bit smaller and put inside larger ones again when you hear this stuff listeners you're just going to be like it's all about money that these more people died, uh, like uh, almost the amount of the people who died in 9-11 died on Titanic. Like, it's very, very, like, horrifying when you hear that. And it's just, it's, I can't remember a time before I knew. When I think of the Titanic, I don't think of a ship going down. I think of all the people, all the families that were on there, rich and poor, who thought they were all excited to be on a maiden voyage. As Rose said, the, the dishes were never used. The beds were never slept in. It was all brand new. Even if you were poor, you were getting the best class that you could ever hope for. And there was a good chance you would never see the land again. 
and the Titanic movie reminds you of that tragedy and the people who were a part of it, not just the ship that went down. We can build new ships. We can't bring those people back. So, a very... There were some people who... Yeah, there were some people who were still trapped inside the Titanic, let's say. Oh, um, also, Stephen, um, you remember the movie, and listeners, if you've seen the movie, you'll probably know the scene I'm talking about. At the very end, when the... The... The, the di- <clears throat> when the diner uh, musicians are playing their last song and it's going towards the woman reading a Dublin story to her children and it shows yeah. this old couple huddling together that man was the uh, owner of Macy's and he heard he was offered a ship uh, a, a boat it was his turn because it wasn't just women and children it was women then children it was first children it was first women and children together as groups and then the elderly and then uh, the grown men um, he was offered a ship and he was one of the richest people on the ship and he said absolutely not as long as there's a single woman or child on this ship i'm not getting on one and he refused and gave his uh, position up to a child and his wife they were in their late 90s said i go where you go and they died together probably in each other's arms the way cameron portrayed it that like so just in case you're thinking that's all the rich people are evil they're not like they weren't it was very like shocking when i heard that like the the head (laughs) founder of macy's department stores like was just like no i'm not getting on a ship and uh, on a boat unless there's every single women and child is off this ship so it was a a very it was a very like it's it's an emotional film but it leaves you feeling just really good when it's over like it accomplished what it was supposed to accomplish and unlike this episode which leaves on a cliffhanger it leaves you with a sense of finality (laughs) yeah and uh it those three famous words to be continued (laughs) so we know there's gonna be more to the story and that is going to be on a raft of course they're not as in dire straits in the north atlantic (laughs) where it was so cold that night for those poor Titanic to uh, survive. I'm sorry, one last thing I want to say about the Titanic, just because it's in my mind. The captain, who did famously go down with the ship, there's a scene in there that I, just because I'm now in a position of authority over, you know, miners and other uh, uh, people where I have to, like, I have the final say in sometimes in my job, when he gets the message... We're sinking. We're going to sink this whole ship in less than three hours. It's going to be on the floor of the Atlantic. Do we have a distress call? Did our distress call get answered? Yes. The Carpathia. It'll be here in four hours at most. And the look on his face, that captain's face, was just like, in four hours, this ship's going to be on the bottom of the ocean. I am responsible half and we don't have enough lifeboats at least at the very least 
half of the people are gonna die on this ship. And it's my fault. I don't know, like, he does a really good job of just, like, checked out. Where he's like, okay. He's somber about it. Oh, I couldn't imagine. I I literally could not imagine having to... Now I can. Actually, I can imagine where you're just like, do whatever. And he ordered the musicians. Because they said it. You heard the captain's orders. Calm music. Keep everyone happy. Like, play music. Make everyone happy. It, it, there's. I think that was my favorite segment when they were playing Near My God, Near My God to Thee. Mm-hmm. That was the end they played when they saw the water rushing in. And you talked about the owner of Macy's lying there with his wife and uh, the Irish woman reading to her children. That was my favorite scene. It was like accepting their fate. That was the scene when they started playing right before that. They all separated and started walking away and one just stayed and started playing. Yeah. And then the, everybody else, oh, the rest of them. And it, it's not schmaltzy. If I was a musician and part of that group, I would have walked back and started playing with him too, you know? Like, I'd be playing Michael Rowe, the boat ashore. <laughs> I'd be playing Alice Cooper's, like, uh, School's Out for the Summer. <laughs> I can't play guitar, so I probably would be. Oh, it's a good movie. That's what we're saying. <laughs> No, ma'am, we'll be right back to wrap up this week's review. Be sure to join their Facebook group page for all the podcast news and updates. Be sure to subscribe to them on the Apple Podcast app and please leave a review telling them what you think of the show. To subscribe to their YouTube channel, just go to channels and search up Married with Children Podcast. Join their Patreon and support your favorite podcast with a small monthly donation. You can email them at marriedwchildrenpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for checking out this review. Well, Tyler, how many magazine subscriptions are you going to buy to rate uh, this Married with Children episode ship happens? Well, as episode one by itself, I'm going to... (laughs) I'm going to subscribe to four magazine subscriptions out of five of them. This was a really, really funny episode. And unlike others whom I shall not reference, this brought up some interesting things from the past that actually have some more long-lasting uh cultural zeitgeist material such as ed mcmahon the million dollar publisher clearinghouse sweepstakes the talk about the titanic for instance or the mention of the love boat which still would be on people's minds and i still think kids now would recognize what the love boat is even if they're not sure what it is and the repartee between Al and Jefferson, the really out of nowhereness with Marcy and Al, which, like I said, married children rarely makes me uncomfortable. And the fact that they were able to bring out a mature adult, uncomfortable situation, 
I was a kid, I wouldn't think anything of that. I'd be like, ooh, Al got kissed by Marcy. <laughs> now I'm just like, whoa, Marcy, this is an appropriate behavior. <laughs> um, all in all, I really liked it, and it made me wanting more. I actually got mad when the episode ended because I'm like, ooh, the ep- next episode started playing, and I was like, Oh, maybe I can just watch. Nope, 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 nope. I don't know what's going to happen. I got to be fresh. Cancel. So, yeah. Four out of five. I did have problems. Um, Wolfman Jack, too much. That was one of my biggest gripes. Uh, he was cute and interesting as the beginning. He had way too long of a uh, approach. Um, I don't like the way Kelly and Bundy are being... Uh, I don't like the way Kelly and Bud are being used. There's no reason why they shouldn't have been able to be on the cruise ship as well. Um, Or if you're not going to have them on there, just don't go back to them. Because then that makes me like, wait, you know what? I kind of wish Kelly and Bud were here. So don't do that. Um, And uh, yeah, I think that's about it. So I'm looking forward to part two. Uh, Steven, what about you? I'm going to give it uh, four and a half magazine subscriptions. Hmm. I'm not too sure how I want to get the half magazine subscription. <laughs> I agree with you on uh, many elements. I love the references. I love the jokes. The jokes were just, most of them were just really on fire. And like you, and I'm, I was the one who brought up, I think, initially that there was too much Wolfman Jack. And he really didn't serve a com- that much of a comedic purpose, as well as Button. Kelly being shoehorned in that way and I will say I just really like this and I thought this was really well done well written and I will say next week uh, I think you'll find it better their guest star on that one Gilbert Godfrey uh, has a lot more to do and Bud and Kelly have a lot more <gasps> to do at home and it really fits Gilbert Godfrey's on the next one? Yes, he is. Ooh, okay. He does make an appearance. Oh, that's already a whatever we're going to choose for our rating system for the next episode. One right there. I was pissed off that there was no Gilbert Gottfried in this episode. That that was another reason why it didn't get like at least four and a half. I forgot to mention that. No Gilbert Gottfried? You bring him up and you don't show me him? You give me Wolfman Jack? <laughs> no Gilbert Gottfried? Screw you. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, we hope to see you come back next week for the same Bundy time and channel, as Luigi likes to say. So, fella, let's get on a live uh, boat and get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, before it starts sinking. All right. Have a good week, everyone. <laughs>